0: Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg, Podcast 10 The Dunkirk Letters of Captain Tom Woods, OBE Great unpublished history
1: I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering You ask, what is our policy? I will say, it is to wage war by sea, land and air, with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. Let that be realized.
0: Dunkirk evacuation, codenamed Operation Dynamo, was the dramatic escape of Allied soldiers from France during World War II. We must go back again. Every one of those men in the water is somebody's son. Captain Tom Woods, OBE, Dunkirk, 1940. German planes were coming over, their bombs dropping the other side of the pier about 40 yards from us. And we had seven holes made in the starboard bow close to the water line. Also three lifeboats hauled by flying shrapnel from the shells, Captain Tom Woods. The ship was a ferry ship called the Lady of Man, How could I forget that name? How lucky we considered ourselves to be. Out of all those thousands of men, we were being given the opportunity to be evacuated. Bill Cheel, 6th Green Howards Hello again, I'm Paul Cheel, son of Bill Cheel, whose World War II memoirs have been published by Pen and Sword in Fighting Through, From Dunkirk to Hamburg. The aim of these podcasts is to give you the stories behind the story, memoirs and reminiscences of veterans connected to Dad's war in some way. This episode opened with part of the inspirational speech which Churchill made to Parliament on 13th of May, 1940. This was soon after he'd formed a government to lead the country during the war and shortly after the German invasion of France on 10th of May. His speech must surely have helped to set the mood of the country and forge what became known as the Dunkirk spirit when everyone pulled together to do what needed to be done to save our troops stranded in France. Since Dad's book was published, I feel very, very lucky to have uncovered a variety of memoirs and letters from people connected to Dad's story. And the small fragment of history in Dad's memoirs is now like some great big jigsaw gradually unfolding before me as more and more accounts appear. So I'm quite staggered about it all really and so chuffed that I can share it with other people. My dad was plucked off the Dunkirk beaches by the ship Lady of Man which had an heroic part to play at Dunkirk. The ship was captained by civilian seaman Tom Woods who'd later be honoured with an OBE for his gallant efforts. This podcast episode features the Dunkirk letters and memoirs of Master Captain Tom C. Daddy Woods, or His great-granddaughter Sarah stumbled across my website a while ago and has kindly sent me the fantastic family records handed down by Tom from 1940. The material includes a report he wrote after the events took place, And letters home to his wife, which illustrate not only the deadly threat of the German forces, but also a mutiny by some of the Lady of Man's crew. And I tell you this, if this podcast affects you in the same way as it's affected me, you'll have a lump in your throat more than once. So get your tissues out, suck on a throat lozenge, and fasten your life jackets, listeners, because this is going to be some exciting history. Captain Tom Woods was not a young man in 1940, he was in his 60s and almost about to retire when the war broke out, and his ship, the Lady of Man, was requisitioned. The Lady of Man was a passenger ship, built by Vickers Shipbuilders for the Isle of Man Steam Packet Company at Barrow-in-Furness in in 1930, at a cost of some £249,000. She operated on the island's busy routes between Douglas and the UK mainland. She had a maximum speed of 23 knots, about 26 miles an hour. The steam packet company owned several sister ships, and a number of these were used in the Dunkirk evacuation, in fact, eight in all. But this is the story of just one of them. So here's the scene, 31st of May, 1940. If you listen to my previous podcast, you'll know that since 10th of May, Major Petch and his boys have been fighting their way to Bre Dune and walked the five miles on soft sand to Dunkirk. We've got literally hundreds of thousands of hungry and exhausted French, British and some Belgian soldiers stranded, slowly being surrounded by the advancing German forces. From 10th of May... There's been much fighting, not all in Germany's favour, but still causing a withdrawal by the Allies back to England. The official evacuation started on 26th of May, only 16 days after the German invasion. There've already been a lot of embarkations from the port of Dunkirk itself, and from the harbour's protective east pier, known as the East Mall. Also, there are many small boats which have come over from England to lift troops directly from the beaches and ferry them to the larger ships, sometimes sailing straight back across the Channel to England. And all this time there are German planes bombing and machine-gunning the ships and the beaches. My dad describes the scene in his memoirs. We could see ships out at sea making their way from Dunkirk to England, and could also see the dive bombers after the ships. To our horror, many other ships had been sunk, their funnels and superstructures sticking out of the water. It was a ship's graveyard, and it looked dreadful. Eventually, our column reached the East Mall, and we waited in a long queue until it was possible for us to board a ship. Really, it is almost unbelievable but even when we were attacked by planes, we didn't move in case we lost our place in the column. The mole was a wooden jetty, only about five feet wide and 1,400 yards long. Listeners, the two concrete moles protecting the outer harbour at Dunkirk played a significant part in the evacuation of troops in May 1940. The harbour had been made unusable by German bombing, and it was clear that troops weren't going to be taken directly off the beaches fast enough. Naval Captain W.G. Tennant had been placed ashore to take charge of the Navy shore parties and organise the evacuation. Tennant had what proved to be the highly successful idea of using the East Mole to take off troops. The moles had never been designed to dock ships, But despite this, the majority of troops rescued from Dunkirk were taken off this way. Listeners, I'm going to start off with Tom's report to his management when he got back from Dunkirk because it provides a good backdrop to the letters to his wife, which he also wrote when he got back. Interestingly, the first day the lady was involved was the very day she rescued my dad. Here goes. Report to R. W. Cannell, Esquire, General Manager, Isle of Man Steam Packet Line. Dear Sir, you asked me to write a short account of our experiences in the Lady of Man evacuation at the various ports. Friday, 31st of May, 1940. We arrived at Dunkirk about 11.30am, and had to wait outside the pier heads for orders to enter, which we got about noon. All the time we were waiting, there were continuous waves of German planes coming over, forty at a time. The anti-aircraft barrage from all the ships about, and our fighter planes going up and intercepting them, kept them from dropping any bombs close to the shipping. About 1.30pm, we got a berth at the pier, and commenced embarking French casualties from the French hospital. We took 1,500 casualties on board, of which 300 were stretcher cases, also 500 other French troops, and 1,000 British. All the time we were at the pier, the German planes were coming over, their bombs dropping the other side of the pier, about 40 yards from us, and we had seven holes made in the starboard bow close to the water line. Also three lifeboats hauled by flying shrapnel from the shells. Several soldiers marching down were killed, about 30 yards ahead of us in the wharf, from the shell fire. All the time from entering Dunkirk, for over five hours, we were under bomb and shell attack. We sailed about 5pm for Folkestone, berthing there at midnight, and disembarked all the uninjured troops leaving Folkestone at 4.30am for Dover, arriving about 6am, where the casualties were disembarked. Listeners, the bit you've just heard related to my dad's evacuation. Until I read this, I had no idea, and I don't think dad had, that the ship had been hit by shrapnel and some soldiers had been killed trying to board ship. This is an abridged episode from my dad's account, this particular period. There, by the side of the jetty, a ship was waiting to be loaded with human cargo. We walked along the wooden pier, and back came the planes. It seemed never-ending, trying to bomb our ship, but without success. We walked along for about half a mile to the ship we'd be boarding. Miraculously, the mole was still intact but there was a six foot gap in the planking where a bomb had gone through without exploding and loose planks had been put across. Some lads in their desperate hurry chose to jump the gap with their full kit on. Luckily none fell through into the water. Another 30 yards and we came to our ship. At the top end of a gangway stood an officer counting soldiers as they went aboard. The ship was a ferry ship called the Lady of Man. How could I forget that name? How lucky we considered ourselves to be. Out of all those thousands of men, we were being given the opportunity to be evacuated. The ferry was fast becoming packed with grateful lads. The captain would know how many the ship could carry, but God alone knows what would have happened had a bomb hit us. I was lucky enough to be on deck to see what was happening and it must have been very claustrophobic down below deck. At last, packed like sardines, the ship began to tremble and so very slowly we pulled away from the mole. It was 6pm, 31st of May, 1940. Being a little taller than many of the lads, enabled me to have a panoramic view of the whole length of the beach. I wondered how many of those boys would get back to England, and how many would be killed or taken prisoner. The beach was as crowded as ever. Then suddenly, I saw a German fighter plane skimming above them, firing cannons. It reminded me of a row of dominoes being knocked down from one end. The dense black smoke from the blazing oil-storage tanks reached far into the sky. There was another loaded ship about one mile ahead of us, and suddenly I heard the Stuckers returning, diving almost vertically. I saw bombs leaving one of the planes, and was certain our time had come and that this was the end. I closed my eyes and gritted my teeth, my whole body braced for the inevitable impact. Then, sploosh, and nothing else. I looked out in surprised relief to find that miraculously the bombs had hit the sea about 20 yards away. So God was watching over us. Then we all gave a massive cheer when one of our destroyers hit one of the planes, knocking a wing off with the inevitable result. As we drew away from the coast, I wondered how many of the soldiers left on the beach would get away. That night, and all I saw, will always be imprinted upon my memory. After another mile or so we felt safer, we were going to be lucky. Everybody became so quiet that only the passage of the ship could be heard, and that noise was bliss to our ears. I don't believe that anybody who had endured the past few weeks, witnessed such tragic events, and lived to remember it all, could be anything but thankful. There must be a God above looking after us. Early morning, after it had become light, somebody shouted, Hey, look across there! We saw the white cliffs of Dover, and it was a beautiful sight. In a little while the ship slowed down and soon edged its way to the dockside at Folkestone. There was a tremendous welcome from everybody awaiting our arrival. Those good Samaritans of the Salvation Army and of the Women's Voluntary Service made us most welcome and plied us with sandwiches and mugs of good strong tea and before we had time to gather our wits we were boarding trains. Listeners, of course, that was it for my dad. But for Captain Woods, it was simply time to return to Dunkirk. Back to the captain's report. Saturday 1st of June. Left Dover Saturday evening for Dunkirk, arrived off the port about 11pm, and got orders from two destroyers to wait orders. And as no orders came by 3am on Sunday morning, we left for Dover following strict instructions from the Admiralty. Listeners, this is the order which Captain Woods received telling him to leave Dunkirk Harbour. From Vice Admiralty, Dover. To all sea transport officers affected. Any Ministry of Shipping Ship outside Dunkirk Harbour is to leave Dunkirk at 0300 2nd of June. Any ship inside Dunkirk Harbour is to cast off and proceed to UK as 0300, 2nd of June. Whatever orders to the contrary are given by officers on the spot. These orders must be incorporated in any sailing orders given. Sea Transport Officer, Dover, 1st of June, 1940. So, listeners, this means that the Lady of Man actually left dunkirk without any passengers on board what was all that about anyway the next evening they turned back again and headed for dunkirk sunday 2nd of june left dover 8:30 p.m. arrived off dunkirk pierheads at 11:45 p.m. instructed by admiral in charge to wait off pierheads as there was no room inside stood by within two miles distance until 2am when Admiral ordered me to leave for Dover as time would not allow to go inside the harbour. We had a few French soldiers that came off in boats. So listeners, am I reading that properly? Does that mean they've actually just gone out a second time and returned without bringing anyone back? Apart from the few French soldiers Tom mentioned gosh that's quite surprising i wonder if churchill knew what was going on there monday 3rd of june to 4th of june left over 6:30 p.m. arrived at dunkirk 10:15 p.m. went inside piers could not get a berth or anyone to take ropes kept manoeuvring inside the harbour until 12:30 a.m. 4th of june when we got made fast Embarked about 2,000 troops, and had to leave at one forty-five am as water was ebbing, and I was afraid the ship would ground. Had intermittent dense fog on the passage back, arriving at Dover about 6am, disembarked troops. Listeners, following is the order which Captain Woods received regarding this action. Naval Message from Vice Admiral Dover, 3rd of June. ...to destroyers, minesweepers, auxiliary vessels. I hoped and believed that last night would see us through... ...but the French who were covering the retirement of the British rearguard... ...had to repel a strong German attack... ...and so were unable to send their troops to the pier in time to be embarked. We cannot leave our allies in the lurch... ...and I call upon all officers and men... ...who are detained for further evacuation tonight... To let the world see that we never let down our ally, the approach will be made later, and the retirement earlier. The night protection of our fighters, which stopped all bombing of the harbor last night, will be repeated. Listen as the action started for the Lady of Man on thirty first of May and carried on through to Fourth of June. Immediately after this, Dunkirk was captured by the Germans, and all evacuation activity ceased. And those troops who'd been fighting a rearguard action were captured and taken prisoner for the rest of the war. Well, listeners, that's the end of Tom's report. Fascinating it was too. I think one or two questions are going to be going begging here, but I'm not going to debate the stuff now because I don't want to lose the momentum of the story. I'm now going to turn to Tom's letters home. He wrote these after he got back to England, but not yet got home to his wife. So, Tuesday 4th of June, Dover. My dear Floss, a few lines, and even though it's in pencil, you'll be pleased to see my writing again. We've had a hectic time since 28th of May, all the sleep I've had is about two hours a day and I feel jiggered, so I won't be able to give you any particulars of the time we've had. But thank the good man we've come out of this, not unscratched. The sights we've seen would make one cry, and others thank goodness that we belong to such a nation of men. So sometime when we meet again in the near future, I will have some tales to tell. You will have to forgive me this short letter, but we're sailing at 8pm for Plymouth, and I hope we get a good rest when we get there. I was pleased to read today in the Ramsey Courier that Tommy was saved. Although I've seen the ship so often this last few days, I could not find out who was saved or who was not. But it's sad. Now dear, I will leave you all good evening, and thank God for a safe deliverance. Love to all and heaps of love and kisses for yourself from your loving Tom. Thursday, 6th of June, Plymouth Sound. My dear Floss, I've now settled down and am able to take up the pen to write to you. I'm glad Captain Kinley called to see you on Monday to assure you I was well. When I was speaking to him I was well, but a little bit nervy as I was just going to go out on the stunt that has just made a night in the history of the British Empire, and I did not want to be out of it. Now it's over, I would not have missed it for the world. We saved 1,500 lives the night of 3rd of June, something to be proud of, and never had such a night in my life. Ships and boats all around us, and a strong breeze and strong tide such that my engine's telegraphs never stopped for three hours before we could get alongside. Listeners, the telegraphs mentioned are communications between the captain and the engine room. If I could have got someone to take only one rope off us when we arrived, I would have had five thousand, but I was sorry I had to leave when I did. If I didn't, we would have grounded, and I did not want to leave the lady's bones there however dear we were four hours in the thick of it that night and came out unscathed thank god the rest of the tale i'll keep till we're lying in bed some night and you make me talkative i don't know how all of them that went home will ever hold their heads up again they just jumped on shore and left everything behind just as if a bomb had dropped on their ships Maybe you can tell me how they're taking it on the island. I'm ashamed to hold my head up amongst strangers when I think of it, and the more I think, the worse it looks. When I spoke to Captain Kinley that morning, I thought he knew all about it, but he didn't. It was me that gave him the information. Listeners, this was early 3rd of June, after the second aborted sailing. Well, dear, my head and heart stood the great strain. In fact, when we were in the thick of it, I had no time to be nervous, and maybe that's what saved the situation. But I don't think my head has been so well as it is now for years. On Monday, when we left Dunkirk, it lifted a cloud off my mind, and I've not had a nervous minute until I got back. All Tuesday and Tuesday night, I seemed to want to cry, but thank goodness, After a good sleep, that has gone, and I'm as fit as a fiddle now. Well, love, I'll leave you now, and see what tomorrow brings forth, as we're only living from day to day now. Give my love to all, dear, and heaps of love and kisses for yourself, from your loving Tom. Listeners, in the past there's been speculation and rumour about the mutiny aboard ship, and the captain's letter is pretty conclusive evidence, that some civilian sailors did leave the ship. Records suggest 17 sailors left the lady at this time. The captain's letter referred to crew leaving ships, plural, so I don't think it was just the lady of man involved here. Sarah, his great-granddaughter, has commented, There is rumour in the family that Tom faced a mutiny at one point, with some crew refusing to go on. I think this might be what he's referring to in one of the letters. I make no judgment on anyone not wanting to continue, though. These men were civilians, and the whole experience must have been harrowing. Tom had three sons of his own in their twenties at the time, and it's said that he insisted on going back, because he said every one of the men in the water was somebody's son. Two journeys had to be aborted, because they couldn't moor up and returned almost empty-handed. Listeners, I've seen an article by Bernard Moffat in the Celtic History and Literature Review about Dunkirk and this discusses the mutiny situation in some detail. He makes various points. He says that Admiral Ramsay's own papers state that armed naval ratings with fixed bayonets had to be deployed on some of the ferries to stiffen the resolve of some crews. The actions of the men on the ships is also indicative of a lack of confidence in the conduct of the operation, rather than indicative of the men's cowardice. The Manx and Welsh ferries were in the area from the outset, without any on-board protection save for the odd light machine-gun. They were hopelessly ill-equipped to withstand air attack. They were on the receiving end, as men in charge Ramsay and Dowding debated the strength of air cover, and ships were temporarily moved in and out of position. Three Manx vessels were sunk during the evacuation, the King Ori, Fenalia, and Mona's Queen. The steamers stayed until the last minute, cutting it so fine that the last ships left as the Germans occupied the port. Moffat concludes that these were not men whose nerves snapped or whose courage evaporated. These were men at the end of their patience. Listeners, I think we've heard the final word in that comment, other than to add that maybe we shouldn't be too critical of the organisation of the evacuation, because it must have been a mammoth task and was never going to run perfectly. Remember that there were some 800 assorted ships and boats involved in this exercise, and it can't have been easy to coordinate everything so I'll simply move on now. Thursday evening, 6th of June, Southampton, England. My dear Floss, A few lines hoping to find you all well, as this leaves me at present. Although about beat, I feel nearly done up, but if I get a good night's rest tonight, as I expect to, I hope to be all right in the morning again. From midnight on Sunday 2nd of June, I had not one hour's sleep for three days. And it's that that tells at my age. We've been through a heavy time, dear. Tuesday 4th of June is a day I will ever remember. Someday I hope to be able to tell you all about it. I'm pleased everyone on board stood the strain fairly well. I'm living in hope that it's all over for the time now. "'I would not be surprised if we'll be going further west soon. "'I was speaking to the manager and Captain Kinley on the phone today "'and asked them when it would be convenient for them to give me a holiday "'as I want to get away from it for a few days. "'I cannot send for you to come here, "'as we might not be here when you would arrive, "'and you could not find out where we are, "'as I cannot find out where boats of our company are "'if they're not here and me seeing them.' "'Well, dear,' we're having fine weather, and if it was not for this trouble, I would be in Barrow now to take this ship out for the summer. I will leave you good evening, and hope you are keeping your heart up, for the Lord is looking after your old man. Give my love to all, and heaps of love and kisses for yourself, from your loving Tom. 7th of June, Friday evening, Plymouth Sound, England. My dear Floss, I received your Sunday's letter today, and was pleased to get it, and to hear you had enjoyed yourself so well, and had such a nice run-out with Sandy and Mrs. But if you'd known the trek your hubby was on just at that time, I think you would have been very quiet. We had expected that night to be the last of the evacuation, had had a lively time of it, but to our dismay when we got back on Monday morning, 3rd of June, We were appealed to, to go again, as there were so many French soldiers left behind that had been fighting the rearguard action while the British were embarking. So the call did not come in vain, dear. We went. You say that on Friday the clerk from the office told you we were alive and well, and that relieved you. But we were in the thick of it that day. Bombs and gunshot falling all around us, and air battles above us and we have the credit of fetching down one enemy plane, and that day I evacuated 1,500 wounded French soldiers and 1,000 others. So you see, dear, we had the pleasure of doing our bit, and you were imagining we were comfortable. Well, dear, I suppose you will get the lot of it in bits. I've had a busy day today in the heat. I went on shore at noon, and had a lot of running about to do and at three o'clock Captain Cowley and I had to appear before the Commander-in-Chief of this place, some nut, and he wanted to know all about the happenings at Dunkirk. Anyway, dear, I have relieved my mind of some things. I got your examiner too, and was glad as I could see who we saved out of the small boats. I couldn't get to know anything about them from here, although I was seeing two of them every time I went into the port. From your loving Tom... P.S. Captain Taylor told me yesterday he met Tommy coming off the boat dressed in a soldier's rig and his blue beret. He would look comical, but I'm sorry he got a whiff of gas. Listeners, I've left this P.S. in the podcast because of the interesting mention of gas, but I can't actually find any historical references to the use of gas by the Germans at Dunkirk though Churchill was evidently ready to use mustard gas on the British beaches should the Germans have invaded. Anyway, if anyone listening can throw any light on this subject, please do get in touch, fightingthrough at yahoo.com. So that's almost the end of Captain Woods and the Lady of Man. I'll just round up with a brief summary of their achievements and a few other facts and figures. Over the period of the evacuation... The Lady of Man had lifted more troops to safety than any other vessel. In fact she brought 4,262 men back to the relative safety of Dover and Folkestone. The 35,000 men who finally surrendered to the Germans after covering the final evacuations were mostly French soldiers. Their resistance allowed the evacuation effort to be extended to 4th of June on which date another 26,000 Frenchmen were brought to England. The British Expeditionary Force lost 68,000 soldiers during the French campaign and had to abandon nearly all of their tanks, vehicles and other equipment. Some 800 boats were involved in the Dunkirk Rescue, including 39 British destroyers and other large ships. Nearly 270 were sunk in total. After Dunkirk, Captain Woods and his beloved Lady of Man went on to other theatres of war, including evacuating troops from Brest and Le Havre, and action on D-Day, 6th June, 1944. On D-Day, she was the headquarters ship of the Senior Officer of the 512th Assault Flotilla, responsible for the landings on Juno Beach, near Coselle, so, listeners, that would have been Canadians in the guise of the 3rd Canadian Division. The Lady of Man's career continued for 25 years after the war. She made her final sailing from Liverpool at 0900 hours on August the 14th, 1971. Listeners, there's actually a pub in Liverpool called The Lady of Man, Look it up if you're going there and have a drink in Tom's memory. I've never actually been there myself, so it's definitely one for my diary. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Lady of Man. So what else can we say about Tom? Plenty, I think. Captain Tom Woods was born in Port St Mary, Isle of Man, in 1879. He lived in Douglas, Isle of Man. He was mentioned in dispatches in August 1940 and received the OBE. Tom's great-granddaughter Sarah said, My great-grandfather was a modest man, and I don't think he ever thought of himself as heroic. He didn't talk about the war much, I'm told. He made several trips, saved thousands of lives, and we all very proud of him. I know that the ship was packed well beyond capacity on some trips. I was only six when he died, so I wasn't able to get much of a feel for what he was like as a man beyond him being quietly spoken, and being sent out into the garden by his wife Floss to smoke his pipe in the depths of winter. It is thanks to Floss that all the documents were so carefully preserved. Tom retired after the war aged 66. He vowed to bring the lady back to the Isle of Man in one piece, and that's what he did. He brought the ship back into Douglas on the 9th of March, 1946 and was welcomed by a civic reception and large crowds. He died of a brain haemorrhage aged 91 on 26th of October 1971, the same year that the ship was scrapped. My aunts say that it was not a coincidence that he died that year, as it broke his heart to see the ship go. Listeners, I've got one final, very historic letter to read to you. Sarah was sorting out some old family paperwork when she found it. She's only just sent it to me in very timely fashion, and it's a letter from the government to Tom, shortly after Dunkirk. Here goes. To Captain T.C. Woods. Master, Lady of Man. 17th of June, 1940. I write on behalf of the Government, to convey to you, and to the members of your ship's company, the gratitude and admiration felt for the help freely given, and the courage and endurance displayed by you all in the evacuation from Dunkirk. This operation, in which the Merchant Navy joined as partner of the Fighting Services, was carried to a successful conclusion in the face of difficulties never before experienced in war. I'm proud to pay tribute to your share and that of your ship's company in a great and human adventure destined to occupy a place of honour in the pages of history. Ronald Cross Minister of Shipping Well. I'm not sure what else I can say to that, other than what a marvellous and fitting tribute to the services rendered by Tom and his crew. And there the history ends. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. It's been fascinating to read Dad and Major Petch's accounts together with Tom's, and it certainly makes me realise how hard the Germans were trying to kill the Allies. And Dad was obviously one of the thousand British troops that Tom mentioned lifting off on the 31st of May. How good is that? Thank you so very much to you, Sarah, for the effort you put into scanning photos and letters and generally writing helpful background about your great-grandfather. Also, thanks to Wikipedia, the free online encyclopedia, for supplying some of the background facts and stats about Dunkirk and the Lady of Man. If you want to explore my dad's memoirs in depth, I thoroughly recommend you to buy his book, Fighting Through, From Dunkirk to Hamburg. There are four chapters on Dunkirk, five on D-Day, loads more, and far more than you're hearing in the podcast. But don't take my word for how good it is. Go take a look at the 100 or more five-star reviews on Amazon. Go to fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk and you'll find a link. Or you can buy from Amazon, Pen & Sword, Direct, Kindle, etc, etc. There's also a discount code you can quote for Pen & Sword. If you do buy the book, and you'd like a special souvenir photo to go inside it, drop me an email, and I'll post something to you, free of charge. For more information on everything, including show notes, photos, contacts, go to FightingThroughPodcast.co. oh boy next podcast what a treat we're all in for this is a first hand account of one of Dunkirk's so called little ships you know I'm getting a shiver down my spine just thinking about it I'm going to be publishing it soon, and it's another gripping story. So keep that life jacket on for a little longer. This is the story of the sailing ship B. In wartime, ordinary men and women are asked to do extraordinary things. This is the story of the part some Isle of Wight merchant sailors played in rescuing Allied troops from the beaches of Dunkirk. We were unloading iron plates at Portsmouth Dockyard when a naval officer came aboard and informed us that the B was being taken over by the Navy. He said the task for which she was required was dangerous proceeded towards the shore, and the nearer we got, the more destruction we saw. Upturned craft and human beings floated everywhere. If you want to keep up to date, keep subscribed, my friends. See you again soon. Thank you very much. For now, I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now.